Meanwhile, in Justice League Quarterly number two, cover dated spring 1991. Hello, and welcome to the Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. This episode is another of our Meanwhile episodes, and in these Meanwhile episodes, we break from the usual numbered issues to provide a chance to, to look at the JLI outside of the ongoing monthly series, and this time out, we're discussing the second installment in the spinoff, Justice League Quarterly. By the way, my name is the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm your host, but as always, I am not flying solo, folks. Every episode, we bring in two guest hosts. Now, today, we're only covering one comic book, but I've still got a dynamic duo to assist me. My guests today are the podcasting double act behind Married with Comics. Wait, hold on. I'm sorry. Actually, it's uh, it's called Married Watching Cartoons. Wait, nope, 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 that's not right. Okay, apparently they're so wishy-washy, they've now just shortened it to MWC Podcast, except when it isn't. So, yeah, anyway, and they have a Transformers podcast, too, called The Rod Pod, and apparently they weren't smart enough to figure out how to put MWC to spell out, I don't know, something like Megatron wants Cybertron or something like that. You're welcome. That's free. You can have that. Anyway, they're too busy in blissful matrimony, apparently, to figure that one out themselves. Folks, Please help me welcome Mr. and Ms. Jonathan and Maggie Schaefer-Hames. Welcome to the New York Embassy, folks. Thanks for being here. How you doing? Hey, you know what? We're doing pretty well. And honestly, it's about time you had us on here. You've been doing the show for how many years now? <laughs> Six years. <laughs> yeah, that's on me, actually. He's been asking us for years. Like, seriously, not a day would go by. Email, text, phone call. Please come on my show. Help make it better. And then there was that one time we were standing outside with a boombox playing Sledgehammer. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, Facebook yeah. tried to block me because I kept sending the same message to you every day. It's like I told you, Shag, we can't be on just any show. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we do a show with Pat and Delvin for crying out loud. Hi, Delvin. No, you actually, you asked us seriously, like shortly after your show started. And it was like immediately after ours had. Yes. And, and you said, I, if I remember right, I didn't go back and read the thing, but you had said now. It's going to be a while. It might be a couple of years if that's okay. And at the time, I was like, okay, if I'm going to get to be on the show, I want to make sure it's like my absolute favorite Justice League International issue. Yeah, let, let's 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 fix that though, because you make it sound like I buried you years down the timeline. No, right. no, 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 no. He picked the issue. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm like, I could have stuck in three. I could have I could have brought in both of you like three years earlier. But For you know, sure. but no, I'm here. Oh. Like, no, no, it's got to be that issue. I'm like, okay, if you want. Wait till the next century. That's fine. Well, it was literally. I mean, in the beginning, you know, because we were like so brand new, and your show was like really one of our favorites, and was one of the <laughs> impetuses of us, you know, starting a podcast in the first place. That was way before you started phoning it in. It was still quality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sacrifice sold out. <laughs> but uh, this, this issue has a really special place in my heart. And it was one of the first I insisted Maggie read mm -hmm. back in the day. And she read it then and loved it. So I'm really, really happy that we get to be here and cover this one with you. I thought you were going to say Maggie read it, put it down and said, what have I got myself into with you? She already figured that out earlier when she <laughs> picked up a Transformers uh, issue by accident. <laughs> 
been a long eight years. Has <laughs> <laughs> it been eight years? Seriously? Actually, we've been, well, we've been together for nine. We've been married for four. Right. Uh, wow. So yeah, like the first time I read this was probably about eight years ago. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a minute. Uh, and that was yeah. the last time I'd read it too. It had been mm-hmm. a long time. So it was really, it was cool to revisit this too. It was like, hey, we're finally going to be on Shag's show four years <laughs> later. We'll read it then. I'm just thrilled you guys are here finally. I, and I'm so excited. Yeah. And, and I, I love how your direction with your show, as much as I picked on you in the opening, I love that you're following your passion. You know, if comics aren't doing it for you, it's Transformers. If that's not doing it, it's cartoons. You follow whatever your pat or, or college, apparently Aww. married with college, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. you follow your passion. And that's the best way. It really is. You got to find something you love. Hey, man, that's awesome. So that's great to hear. And we do have you to thank for that, too. I mean, your find <laughs> your joy kind of mentality and what's the word I'm looking for, hang on. Genius. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not Influence. That. Just your find your joy motto, kind of, you know, the heart of what, everything you do, you know, really connected with me. Not even, not only for podcasts, but just for anything. And it, it helps me remember whenever I'm interacting with somebody online about something I supposedly like, if I'm ever in a fight with them or speaking negatively, it's like, wait, why am I doing this? I could be talking happily about something. Wait, people disagree on the internet? That's weird. (laughs) Yeah. So folks, if you're not picking up on it, remember the smartest and best way to ever get on the show is just suck up and tell me I'm smart and tell me I I have full of good ideas and that'll get you on the show. So that's the track. And four years later. All right. Well, before you guys wax my car too much, we need to take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of the JLI podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collect editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Now, in each episode, we pick something from the InStockTrades library to discuss, whether it be about that issue or something we like, whatever, something we want to talk about today. My pick is, uh, it's pretty straightforward, folks. It's not hard. It's Justice League corporate maneuvers trade paperback which collects this issue we're going to cover so i'm not going to talk much about the trade other than to say it collects the first four issues of justice league quarterly uh it's obviously the writers are keith giffen jmd mateus and some other folks arts by chris sprouse time artist who draws this issue uh, you got a beautiful cover by adam hughes it's 304 pages again it's all four of those first issues it's super fun it's a soft cover full color you can get it for 14 dollars 49 right now it's 42 percent off it's normally 24.99 so 42 percent off for only 14 dollars and 49 cents. Now, I have to ask you, John and Maggie, you know, all the cool kids that come on the show bring a pick. So I'm going to assume that maybe Maggie brought one because I don't think Jonathan did. I just figured that's how that works. <laughs> Normally, you'd be right. <laughs> <laughs> we put our heads together and, yes. well, we both went and thought and really hard and looked over the list and each accidentally picked the same one. So we're going to go with that one. Nice. That's actually true. Like, we were thinking about which one we were going to pick, and we both came up with the same idea. So it worked out. Yeah. I, I like how you quantified it by saying, like, that, that's actually true, as if most that's everything else true. that you two say is full of lies, is what I'm thinking. That's not just podcast magic, folks. <laughs> <laughs> You're giving away the secrets. Shh. I know. I know. <laughs> And this one actually, despite appearances, does tie into the Justice League International. Convince me. I'm not there yet. All right. We went with Transformers IDW uh, Phase 2 Hardcover Volume 1. 
And uh, the war for Cybertron is over, but Bumblebee and his fellow Autobots struggle to maintain control of the world without Optimus Prime. The provisional government is struggling, and Prowl will defend it against the Decepticons at seemingly all costs. Meanwhile, Rodimus and a group of Autobots and Decepticons embark on an epic quest to the farthest reaches of the universe. This is published by IDW, written by John Barber and James Roberts. The artist, main artist is Nick Roche and a bunch of others. The cover artist of the volume is Sarah Stone. There are 272 pages of this. It's a hardcover. It was $49.99, but on in-stock trades right now, you can get it for $34.99, which is a 30% savings. Now, I can hear you sitting at home through Podcast Magic. <laughs> Asking yourself, but John, what possibly could Transformers have to do with the Justice League? Well, in my head, it had a lot more profanity, but that's about right. Yeah. Yes, but you <laughs> insisted this is a PG show, so I've been spending you know two days doing Martian meditation to make sure that I would eating a lot of Oreo cookies and, yes. and banging your head against the wall. I think that's what it is, right? Uh, yes, that's a form of meditation. This collection contains. More Than Meets the Eye, number one. <gasps> I know where this is going. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, if if all of you sitting at home who are still wondering about this and possibly Shag have access to a device which connects to the Internet, you can Google More Than Meets the Eye, number one, cover. I'll wait while you do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to because Derek Crabb shared it with me the minute it was published. Exactly. I'm sure he did. Oh, yeah. He shared it with me the moment it was published, and I didn't even know him then. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> the cover of More Than Meets the Eye, number one, is an incredible tribute to the first issues of Justice League International, number one, and Justice League Europe, number one, and all of the variety of other versions we've seen. It was this cover that drew me into the series and, and which we now have to blame for the podcast that Maggie and I don't put out <laughs> as often as, as everybody would like to. It, it is very um, often described and accurately so as the JLI of the Transformers universe. Oh, that's awesome. There's a lot of humor in it, very irreverent humor. But beyond that, that is there to hide what is often a very serious story. The, it's the greatest blend of serious and humor in a comic I've seen since Justice League International. And I highly recommend it to everyone, not just so you'll listen to our show. <laughs> you may end up making me read a Transformers comic and it's been years. So that's a that's a that's a big step there. We do what we can. We do. <laughs> One person at a time. That's exactly right. You're just going to go door yes. to door. <laughs> door to door, exactly. Giving people Transformers comics. Here you go. Read this. You'll like it. So, folks, you can find both of this collection, Transformers, IDW, uh, Collection Phase 2 hardcover, and Justice League Corporate Maneuvers over on InStock Trades. Uh, please let them know that Fire & Water Podcast Network sent you. So uh, this episode is also sponsored in part with your help at our Patreon, folks, because running the Firewater Podcast Network with so many shows requires a lot of online hosting, and there's other services and fees. And a while back, we realized we needed some help with the expenses, so we launched the Patreon, and you folks really stepped up to help us keep the network going. So if you're enjoying the JLI podcast, and the best way to support us is by visiting our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And while you're there, please consider supporting the network. And at certain tiers, you get mentioned on your show of choice, just like these 
these folks who asked to be recognized on the JLI podcast. Our thanks to Bill Beer, Chris Lewis, David A. Gutierrez, DC Dave, Devin Clancy, George Van Note, Gord Tolton, John Coos, John Ross Haynes, Kevin Wetter, Mark Baker Wright, Martin Gray, Matt Ev, Maxwell Traver, Michael Crouch, Michael Zomkowski, Patrick McMullen, Roger Preeb, Rudy Gastillo, Sean Ross, Superman Radio Revisited Podcast, and Tim Price. Again, thank you to all of our Patreons, and please consider visiting our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. All right, everybody. Now, this is the part where you got to get involved. We need to hear your thoughts. We need to hear your feedback on Justice League Quarterly, maybe on the Transformers with the boxes, fighting the boxes, that kind of thing. <laughs> Jonathan and Maggie, anything. Go out on the social media, tag us at JLI Podcast on Twitter, over on Facebook, we're Justice League International Blahaha Podcast, and let us know. And more importantly, go out to our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI Podcast, and leave your comments on this show post. Now, I've been talking for a long time. Let's spin it back to y'all. So let's. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Maggie, and, and Jonathan. Mm-hmm. You guys both chime in here. I want to know your personal origin story with the JLI. How did you discover the book? How did you fall in love with it? Or is this your first time ever reading it? I don't think that's the case. But (laughs) Maggie, you want to go first? Sure. Yes. I'm going to try to keep this brief, but it all starts with Batman. And so four years ago when we started Married with Comics, uh, we did a Maggie Loves Batman. And I remember, Shag, you talking about your theory that eventually everybody grows out of their love of Batman. And I was like, (laughs) that's not going to happen to me. I'm immune to this. Well, here I am four years later. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I could kind of do with not that um, quite so yeah, much. Not the character, but just like the things that have been done with the character. Mm-hmm. We're actually thinking about doing a, a another Maggie Loves Batman uh, for Maggie Hates Batman. Oh! Yes. yes, Maggie Loves Batman for Maggie Hates Batman. Uh, <laughs> prior to the comics that John introduced me to, Justice League and Transformers and all the rest of them, I had read like V for Vendetta, Watchmen, uh, is it funny, funny home, funny house, funny home, I think, and some Frank Miller something. And not like the happiest, brightest stories. Right. Very dark, very serious. Um, I was an emo kid. I will fully admit to that. I am a millennial. <laughs> so, you know, that's, it just is what it is. You got to embrace it. But so it didn't occur to me that comic books could also be funny because I hadn't experienced any of that. It's so funny. It's yeah, like really my experience with comic books was super twisted. Like it's just very strange. <laughs> So John got formerly known as the Justice League out of the library. And I I really like the stuff I know about comics and the books that I've read and the characters I've come to love. I really got a lot of that through osmosis with just John having a lot of comic books around. And occasionally the art on the covers would kind of intrigue me. I'd pick it up and, and give it a try. And the cover was funny and humor is something that I absolutely love. So when he's like, well, you might actually really like this. And sure enough, I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever read. I was like, more of this, please. <laughs> it, it's like an entire run. There's an omnibus, which we now own. And it was really funny. It, it's such a good read. I love the art. I love the the Keith Giffen, Dave Mateus combo is just perfect. And 
I, I loved them. So it, and I never really looked back. And then that led directly into Transformers and more than meets the eye. It's very much the JLI of the Transformers universe in its tone and its storytelling and its hu- sense of humor is kind of similar. So yeah, it all kind of dovetailed in together and worked out into the, the podcast that we do now. And I just love JLI, you know, and especially seeing Batman in a comic that's funny. And he's funny in this first one, not like super intentionally, but it's funny because the thing that he says is funny because he's Batman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which counts? I'll take it. It counts. Because uh, you, you never see Batman like crack a smile anymore. I mean, geez. Yeah. So I don't know. That's that's kind of where I came into JLI. All of my origin stories are, well, John checked something out from the library once and I picked it up because I didn't have anything else going on that afternoon. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I assume the library, the library was just a long box in the closet or something, but that's fine. It was a legitimate <laughs> library, I suppose. But that, what a, column what a, A, column B. <laughs> what an interesting way to come at it, though. Like, you start at, like, the heaviest. You're doing Watchmen. You're doing, you know, a V for Vendetta. You're doing the really, really heavy stuff. So, like, almost the only mm. way you can go is light at that point, I guess. And, no kidding, uh, right? Yeah. Wow. That's really yeah. fascinating. Okay. I do remember that well because I was I had checked out that plus the more than meets the eye for the first trade. And I was reading that, and she, and she said, "What's the what's the other thing?" And I said, and she was going to read it. I said, "This is like an epilogue. This is way after the series itself." She's like, "I don't care." Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I remember right, they won an Eisner for it. I think, uh, if I recall correctly, for formerly known as the Justice League. So it's, I mean, it's great, great material, and we are going to cover it before we're done here on the show. But uh, man, that's a that's a great one to start with. So what about you, John? What's your history with the JLI? Oh, I'm taking a library information services program. Mm -hmm. And so I was like relearning uh, some research techniques. So it was kind of fun to use Mike's Amazing World of Comics in order to test whether or not my occasional Swiss cheese memory was accurate in this. Mm -hmm. And, And I was happy to find out that it was. When I was growing up as a kid in a very small town in northern Wisconsin, and I did not have very much access to comic books on a regular basis. I would get them occasionally. There was a drugstore in the neighboring town that had them, but they didn't get new comics very often. They never changed titles. And occasionally there would be random stuff here and there. Uh, But then the summer of 89 hit Mm. and suddenly comic books were available in all sorts of places. And in the midst of my uh, Batman phase turning into my Superman phase, (laughs) because I had only really read Marvel comics up to this point, every DC thing I'd seen, I just didn't, it didn't gel with me at the time. It was all mostly Silver Age stuff. Sure. Silver Age stuff or pre-crisis in any case. And I just didn't, the dialogue and, and various things just didn't feel as mature to me. I now look back and have great, great appreciation for it, especially that era. But because it was 89, I picked up a Batman. Of course. And also a Superman. Mm -hmm. I wound up sticking with Superman way longer than I stuck with Batman. But in the midst of this, I had made it to forensic state. And I think it was it must have been my sophomore year in high school. And I had, uh, for some reason, I had gotten the, I brought with me like way more money than a sophomore in high school would ever need to have on a forensics trip, like 80 or 100 bucks. Whoa. Yes. That, and that's actually equates to a million dollars in today's money, just so you it, folks know at home. It might as well be. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> adjusted for inflation, it is $1.8 million. <laughs> As far as my sophomore brain was concerned. And our hotel was across from a mall in Madison. 
And we got to go there after or either before or after the thing we did. And we got to just spend four hours of uninterrupted and unsupervised time in the mall. This must have been the 80s. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I made a beeline to Walden Books and I spent most of it on Dungeons and Dragons books and comics. <laughs> I have a right for the D&D section and second edition had just come out and I'm like, player's handbook, dungeon master's guide, you know, and grabbed a ton of comic books off the shelf because 80 bucks went a long yes, it did. back then. Yes, it did. And I also grabbed an issue of some comics magazine or other. I think it was probably comics or CBR comics buyers reader. What was that one? Well, comic scene was the really comic scene. That was definitely that one. It was a, it was a comic scene because there was a Batman movie thing on the cover of it. And there was an interview with Bob Kane. And so because of that for a while, I believed a lot of things about Bob Kane, which are not true. (laughs) It's okay. Bob Kane believed him too. So yes, he did. (laughs) I did learn what a shameless self promoter was. <laughs> uh, but there was also an interview with Keith Giffen in it. Yeah. And I was sitting in the food court and I was reading it. I'd flipped through it and I got to when he was promoting his new comic, Justice League Europe. And I saw the cover of it. And I was like, that one was back at the Walden Books. And I didn't buy it. But this article really makes it seem like something I'd want to read. And he's and it seems hilarious. So I went back there <laughs> with just bags full of DD books and comic books. And I like come back into the store and the poor gal working gave me a look of, oh, please, God, don't tr- be here to return something. <laughs> but no, I went and bought that JLE. And then because I thought it would be weird to just buy one comic book. I bought a bunch of other comics. <laughs> so I have every Marvel comic that was that was sold this month in uh, on according to Mike's Amazing World, as well as a whole slew of DC stuff. So this was in it looking forward from here, it actually became the moment where I just kind of abandoned Marvel for a little while and read read DC. For- I, I often viewed Marvel as like a training ground for especially in the 80s for readers and DC is like you graduate to DC is kind of how I always saw it. Mm-hmm. I also love the idea of your parents sending you to, to this this event with all this money and you blowing <laughs> it all of this stuff and not having any money to eat food like the rest of the week. <laughs> yeah, like how much trouble were you in when you got home? Oh my God. Because I know your mom and dad, they would not have been pleased. <laughs> you doing that? I think, yeah, my mom had given me the money with the instructions to not spend it all unless I needed to. Usually the rule. And she knew as well as I do did that there was no way that I wasn't going to spend all that money. And you see, because my dad did not like me buying very many things that he considered to be worthless. Mm-hmm. Uh, comic books and toys, he, he would look at them with very much scorn. I love my father, but this is a thing about him. We've worked it out. It's all great. But he would say comic books the way I would say imbecile. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. You know, and so my mom knew this. She knew I loved it. She knew I loved D&D. So she, by slipping me a hundred bucks to take with me to a place that had a bookstore in it, she knew what she was doing. 
<laughs> well, she said only spend it when you absolutely need to. You absolutely needed the player's guide, so I get it. Well, how else was I going to play D&D? And I knew they mm-hmm. were going to make me run the thing, so I had to know how to do that. Yep. It all makes perfect sense to me. It does. <laughs> all necessary. All necessary purchases. But I actually didn't read JLE for very much longer because as they that one didn't come to the uh, comic book store back home. Comic book store. The drug store back mm. home and had it. But then this one did. Oh, Just League Quarterly number two did. Was probably the next time it became came back on my radar. That's awesome. And, and I snagged it right off there. And it's, <laughs> it was, I am glad I did. And that is the absolute perfect segue, intentional or not, for us to get into this. Let's do it. So let's talk about Justice League Quarterly number two, folks. Uh, if you want to see some of the images from this issue, you can go out to our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com slash JLI podcast. We'll post a few images, not a ton though, because I mean, this thing is super available now. You know, it's a, it's the, there's the trade paperback collecting Justice League Quarterly. It's out on DC Infinite. You can buy in a comicsology. It is everywhere. So if you can't find it yourself, people, you're just not trying. So, all right, let's talk about Justice League Quarterly number two, published by DC Comics, cover dated spring 1991. On the shelves, January 15th, 1991, even in small little drugstores up in nowhere, Wisconsin. The cover price was $2.95. <laughs> the cover is drawn by Bart Sears. So, Maggie, John, would one of you or both of you like to describe the cover? So we get a nice big close-up of Mr. Nebula's giant head. And he (laughs) appears to be toying with Nort and Martian Manhunter, Scarlet Skier, Ice, and is it something Fox? What it's, color Fox? It's Crimson Fox. Crimson. Can't you tell? She's red. Oh, wait. Yeah. No, she's not. <laughs> I was going to say, wait, is it Crimson? Is it Scarlet again? Too? Are there two Scarlet characters? I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and Crimson Fox. That's right. And off to the left-hand side, we have this lovely style bubble that says, it's the biggest event of the year. And below that, the return of Mr. Nebula. And he's got his big, huge green hands are like front and center as his huge head is looking at us. And he definitely, Mr. Nebula, who I had no idea who he was, uh, but I could tell he looked kind of like Galactus. Yeah. And I had always wondered, what would it be like if the Justice League ever faced Galactus? Wow. (laughs) Here's an issue where that happens. Oh, happy day. (laughs) No more. It's kind of like facing Galactus and it's kind of like the Justice League. But yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's going to bug me forever is this cover has always reminded me of something, and I have never been able to figure out what cover this reminds me of. Let me tell you, we're in that together. Because I actually went online, I said, okay, Twitterverse and Facebookverse, I need your help. Help me figure out what this is based on. Because I I feel the same way. I'm like, this has got to be an homage to like a a Galactus issue or a Doctor Doom issue or something. Because actually, the last time Mr. Nebula showed up was uh, Justice League of America at 30... Six? That's off the top of my head, folks. Anyway, it was a great cover where you saw Mr. Nebula's hand holding Nort. Well, that was a tribute to an old FF issue. Mm-hmm. So I was sure, I'm like, okay, this is another one. So I asked the whole internet, every single person on the internet I asked. And everyone came back like, nope, that's an original image. So it just is that iconic, I guess, that Bart Sears has put together this. I mean, it's really, really well designed. I mean, as you said, Mr. Nebula's face is huge. He's got this malicious grin on his face. The characters are just dribbling out of his hand. It looks 
great. The scale of it's fantastic. The purple and the green contrast each other great. So this could be a case where it's absolutely original and it's just that darn good. We're so convinced it's an homage. Maybe he's just got that kind of face. Don't I know you? So yeah. I think it's a gorgeous cover. I absolutely love it. Uh, Mr. Nebula mm-hmm. is a... Um, He's a bit of a divisive character. I mean, like, uh, some people absolutely hate him. They feel like it's a joke too far. Some people love him. I didn't know where I was going to fall until I got ready for this episode. I'm in the camp where I love him right now. So uh, this cover <laughs> brings me a lot of joy. I absolutely love it. This is truly a beautiful cover. It's evocative. It it does um, fail in the one thing Maggie doesn't like, which she'll probably say. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but the one thing I do love, and it it reminds me of, of various Transformers comics, is I do love when they play with scale. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're dealing with giant things and little things, and they... And, it, and this is not the scale in which he possesses in there. But in this case, you know exactly how huge he is because he is tossing the little Justice League around and they're, they're very itty bitty as far as you're concerned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Maggie. So what is it that you don't like about the cover? I always gripe whenever a cover depicts something that doesn't actually happen in the book. Uh... However, I will say that if you saw this cover and passed it by, there's just something ain't right with you. <laughs> 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 it's a great cover. I, I really enjoy it. I like the kind of malevolent sort of smile that Mr. Nebula has mm-hmm. as he's pouring these members of JLI into his hands. The starry space background behind him. I think it's a lovely cover. I think it's very cool. Very sharp. Yeah, it looks great. I, I'm, I'm looking at both the physical copy and the copy on Comixology that I bought. And uh, mm-hmm. the colors just pop so much on the digital. Uh, it makes mm-hmm. it even look sharper. And his eyes, like I love how they've used a little bit of blue shade shadowing on his eyes because i mean mm-hmm. it's, it's it's a combination of that and the eyebrows you know that sort of that that sears put into it the creasing in the, in the yeah. yeah absolutely looks so good and of course you know he's supposed to look shiny and who are you going to get when you want something to look shiny you get bart sears because mm-hmm. that's you know he's the king of shiny so uh it just it's it's absolutely excellent mm. oh i would like to be the king of shiny that sounds like a great title <laughs> I believe you have to find Bart Sears, issue okay. him a formal challenge. Gotcha. And then you have to wax a lot of cars. Okay. <laughs> It'll turn you could you could possibly declare yourself the, the Duke or Duchess of Shiny, I suppose, without challenging him. At that point you just have to pay deference to him. Uh, that true, will, yeah. that yeah. will never do. <laughs> that would never do. I'm not, I do not I do not marry lower nobility, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. But before we end up in a divorce court here, let's keep going, folks. So once we're inside, we have got two completely different stories that we are going to recap for you, and then we're going to talk about them. The first one is called Designing Humans, which took me a minute, and then I realized it's a play on the old TV series Designing Women, which is great. Uh-huh. Page count of the story is 56 pages. Plot is by Keith Giffen. Scripts by J.M.D. Mateus. Penciler is Tom Artis. Inkers are Randy Elliott and Bruce Patterson. Letter is Robert Panaha. Colorist is Gene D'Angelo. Assistant editor is Kevin Dooley, and editor is Andy Helfer. Y'all want to start us off with a recap? Okay. Mr. Nebula, interplanetary designer, watches as the citizens of a planet complain about what he has done with their world. Mr. Nebula comments that he gets no respect for redesigning planets and decides to move to a different world. He then realizes his herald, the Scarlet Skier, has gone missing. 
Mr. Nebulous sends a probe to fetch the Scarlet Skier. In the Rio de Janeiro embassy of the JLI, Nort and the Scarlet Skier are swimming in the pool while the embassy staff watch in horror. Nort and the Scarlet Skier see Mr. Nebulous' probe, and in a panic, the Skier demands Nort destroy it. The probe escapes because Nort stops to save his friend the Skier from plummeting to his doom. Skier is furious with Nort and warns him of the impending horrors Mr. Nebula will inflict upon the Earth. Meanwhile, in deep space, the probe returns to Mr. Nebula, and he sets course for Earth, and also and also decides to redecorate the planet while he's there picking up his herald. The Scarlet Skier is brought to the Martian Manhunter. John listens to the Skier's hysterical screaming and retelling of Mr. Nebula's secret origin. The Skier tells of the Lords of Order named Jack and St. Anne, who took up corporeal form. They got drunk at a bar and decided to visit the new temple to the Lords of Order. Curtain Rod, the designer of the temple... (laughs) These names! I know. (laughs) Chased them off (laughs) because because the temple wasn't open. This angered St. Anne, and he blasted Curtain Rod to a different dimension. There, Curtain Rod awoke in a dimension of garish colors, which he found to be absolutely divine. He stayed in that dimension for countless years and evolved to become a demigod. When he found a gap in reality and saw the normal universe, he decided the blandness needed redecorating. He took on a new form and declared himself Mr. Nebula, interplanetary designer. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it from here. So Jean eventually comes to believe the skier, but finds the League severely underpowered. Mr. Nebula appears in the Earth's oceans, but he finds Earth terribly dull and sets about redecorating the world in his own image. The Scarlet Skier is sent to the hospital for being hysterical, while Martian Manhunter gathers the available League members. All that stands between New York and Mr. Nebula are Martian Manhunter, Ice, Crimson Fox, Blue Jay, and North. (laughs) We are doomed. (laughs) On the Brooklyn Bridge, the League joins an army detachment only to find that the army's facing the wrong direction. Nort tries to stop Mr. Nebula by freezing the water, but this results in tripping Nebula, which causes a giant tidal wave that nearly destroys the bridge. With Nebula upright again, Ice and Crimson Fox climb into Mr. Nebula's ear and freeze his inner ear fluid. Mr. Nebula gets woozy, falls to the ground, and vomits an enormous puddle. Meanwhile, Martian Manhunter has deduced the only way to stop Mr. Nebula is to appeal to his ego, much like how people treat me. Jean convinces Mr. Nebula that the people of Earth admire his glorious redecorating and are trying to emulate him themselves. Martian Manhunter proves this by showing Mr. Nebula the garish Las Vegas Strip. Mr. Nebula agrees to leave the people of Earth, expecting that they'll redecorate the entire planet to look like Las Vegas. Once back in space, he remembers why he came to Earth and summons his herald. With the Scarlet Skier returned, Nebula produces a gaudy redesign of the Skier's costume. Woof! That is how that story wraps up, all 56 pages of it. Now, we're going to do the recap for the other story first, then we're going to dive into this, folks. All right. The second story is called Running Hot and Cold. Page count is 17 pages. Plot, uh, again, by Keith Giffen. Story, again, by James DiMatteis. Pencil this time is Aldrin Awe, who nowadays goes by the name Buzz. Inker is Malcolm Jones III. Letter is Robert Pinaha. Colorist is Gene D'Angelo. Assistant editor is Kevin Dooley. And editor is Andy Helfer. Y'all want to start us off? Heck yeah. Flash villains Captain Cold and Heatwave are in a bar commiserating about their lives and the more aggressive attitudes of the superhuman community, all since Barry Allen 
died. Captain Cold proposes that they go on a simple robbery for old time's sake. Later, when Captain Cold and Heatwave put their plan into action, by sheer coincidence, JLI heroes Fire and Ice are shopping nearby. Fire and Ice walk past the jewelry store robbery in progress, and Fire decides capturing Captain Cold and Heatwave would gain our heroes valuable rewards, such as fine jewelry. <laughs> Meanwhile, Captain Cold and Heatwave are playing the role of gentlemen thieves, being polite, making sure no one gets hurt during the robbery. And as they make their escape, they discover the front door is blocked by what is essentially an iceberg. The hero Ice has frozen the front door to trap the criminals. The police confront Fire and Ice due to the enormous iceberg blocking the entire city street. About this time, Fire realizes that they didn't block the back door of the jewelry store. Fire flies around the bank and starts chasing down Captain Cold and Heatwave, which gives the villains great delight. Fire and Ice continue chasing the villains into the subway, and they battle it out. Heat against cold, and cold against heat. In the end, our heroes prevail, but the villains are upset by Fire's desire for rewards, stating that Barry Allen would never ask for a reward. And Ice nearly suffocates Heatwave by accident, but then they each exchange pleasantries, practically tripping over each other to be nice to each other. The police show up, but things don't go the way Fire expected. Then, back at the embassy, Marsha Manhunter is on monitor duty when he gets a call from Fire. Explaining that she did not get any diamonds, that Ice is being sued, and they've both been arrested. Uh, all right. So much fun. So let's let's get into this. Massive, massive comic. It's basically the size of three individual issues all in one. So you're getting a ton of story here. Super fun. Let's start with the designing human story, the Mr. Nebula story. Uh, really picking up a lot of the threads from JLI number 36 when they first introduced him, which was, you know, all that Galactus stuff. I, I let, Let's start from the beginning there. Like, I love seeing the embassy staff with Gunort and Mr. Uh, Scarlet Skier swimming in the pool. I thought that stuff was hilarious. Oh, absolutely. And uh, what is his name? I'm looking at him right now. Ernesto Lopez. There you go. Yeah, he's just like the stink of wet dog fur. Because <laughs> it's not like, I mean, wet dog fur doesn't smell all that great, obviously. But when you're talking about a dog that's like the size of a person, just bleh. Right. <laughs> just <bleh>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, these poor people, <laughs> I love these little slice of life things because this was the pretty much the second thing I'd read beyond the first Justice League Europe things as I babbled on about forever in, that, in my earlier introduction. But, but this wound up being a, a decent one to start in on to get more of a clue of what the whole thing was about. Okay, not only do they have the Justice League, you know, the embassy in Paris, which I knew about, they seem to have them all over the world. Okay, check. So it's nice that a ostensibly humor and very funny and very, very over the top humor one does manage to sneak in some uh, every issue is somebody's first thing, because in this mm -hmm. case, it was like my third. I, I like to think that Nort and the Scarlet Skier have literally been going just from embassy to embassy, just hopping, like crashing, <laughs> you know, in every embassy for a couple of days. And it just happens to be the Rio de Janeiro's turn. It's so like, oh, what I, that's what I hope is happening here. That could very well be. Either that or the, the league just keeps sending them, no, go tour there for a while. <laughs> No, yeah. No, really, you'll like that place. Just, you know, go check that out for a while. Change the locks. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. He's like, quick, quick change all the locks. Uh, I, did, I did just want to mention, though, on the page previous to this with them in the pool, mm -hmm. Mr. Nebula is contemplating those big ideas. 
you know, what is man? What is the meaning of existence? And one of the questions is, what is the capital of Wisconsin? Wisconsin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've got, I mean, first of all, it's Madison. Yes, a lovely place. yes it is. <laughs> uh, and I just got to wonder, like, why? You know, like, I feel like Wisconsin randomly shows up in things. Like in Dogma, aren't they at the Milwaukee airport? Mm-hmm. And, you know, things like that. Just randomly Wisconsin comes in, into play here. And it, I just thought it was so funny. I had completely forgotten that when I read it again. I laughed because I was like, wait, what is capital Wisconsin? Why would he be thinking that? Well, unfortunately, for, for people like us that don't live in Wisconsin, a lot of times it's kind of like the Wyoming jokes. It's like, does anyone really live in Wisconsin besides right. farmers? Is anyone there? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, no, I was I was going to agree. I'm sure that's what a lot of people think. I actually heard once that there are people who think Wisconsin is a part of Canada. <laughs> it's not? Really? It's not. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> no. Even if we wish really, really hard, it's right. still not. <laughs> it's still not true. No, it's not true. Anyways, I just wanted to make sure I pointed that out. No, it's great. That, that whole existential thing where he's just wondering all this. And the, the, yeah, the comments start getting random. It's hilarious. I mean, this issue, J.M. DiMatteis was having so much fun. And there's oh, so yeah. Oh, many one-liners mm-hmm. in this thing. I mean, it's way, way over. I didn't count how many jokes there are, but I mean, it's, it's way over the usual page count of uh, our quantity of jokes. I mean, they're all over the place, and that's a perfect example. Of the one you mentioned, Maggie, it's just they're they're embedded everywhere, and I love it. It's just and for you, uh, Jonathan, as a new reader, you had to know. Okay, this book's very much tongue in cheek. It absolutely is. Yes, I, I'd read enough Marvel to recognize right away this is a Galactus parody. But what was great about rereading it as an adult is I've read a lot more Silver Surf since then mm. so this dialogue is absolutely hilarious <laughs> it is it is so stanley and the art too the artist is having a great time here because this art here is the most jack kirby stuff that's ever crackled a uh, kirby dad <laughs> <laughs> that's true he did just totally go to town here with uh with mr nebula and his ship and world ship and all that it is very kirby yes that's true i uh speaking of art i gotta mention like if you look at the pages where uh nort and Scarlet Skier are in the pool and stuff like that and really look at like the faces like on page seven and you know, the faces of Nort and on page eight. I mean, that's gorgeous. I mean, Tom no. Mortis mm-hmm. really did some great yeah. work here. I think he was criminally underrated. I don't think he really got recognized enough back then. I mean, some really sharp stuff. Well, it, well yeah. his, his facial expressions as Scarlet Skier is kind of having this breakdown. <laughs> every passing moment he has to spend with Nort, uh, the facial expressions are so good. Mm-hmm. Like you really get what he's feeling. You really get that deep kind of frustration that you can only get when you're trying to get through to someone who will never understand. <laughs> right. You know, until he goes Donald Duck. <laughs> Yes. Considering all that Skier has is like, you know, this opaque white eyes that are just like a, <laughs> in, in an opaque white mouth. That's pretty expressive that it's able to communicate all that. It's impressive. Right. Yeah. So let's see. What else? Uh, going through here, like, all right, so we get into the point where the JLI step into the role, right? So we're, we're dealing with the JLI now. Why exactly is Martian Manhunter wearing Wonder Woman's bracelets? Getting there. Mm. That's a good question. This was probably the first book I ever read that had Martian Manhunter in it. So I just uh, probably wondered after this, where does bracelets go yeah could very well be <laughs> it's just so strange that they they didn't catch that because i can't remember him ever wearing anything like that and the fact that it's in throughout the whole book they could have made it disappear by just coloring it green they could have colored it blue anything but no they went out of their way to color them silver uh and even a little shiny so they they look like he's ready to you know pa-ting, 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 you know block yeah, some bullets yeah. that's bizarre i never even 
I'm so used to looking at it. It never even struck me as odd until now. And from now mm-hmm. on, in which every time I'll only be able to see it. Thanks again for ruining yeah, some aspect of my childhood. Chag, you're happy uh... to do it. <laughs> okay. That is, the, that is the problem with podcasting about things you love. You have oh, no yeah. choice but to tear them apart. <laughs> yep. Right. But man, even the, the sweat, the beads of sweat that are mm-hmm. running down his face and the wrinkles. It's very, very good. Yeah. Oh, that last panel on, is that, well, I'm looking at, it says page 12 of Scarlet Skiria with that sweat. I looked at that for a while. And I have a tendency when I'm reading comic books to actually kind of skim the art, unfortunately. I get really into wanting to read the story mm-hmm. and I kind of forget to stop and look at the panel that I'm reading. And I actually lingered on that one for a little bit because I just thought it was so cool. The art in this is really top notch. Being able to read this in guided view has been a true yeah mm-hmm. yeah i've never was able to before and it's it really lets you zoom in on both the art and the one-liners can really pop more it just says skier please you're hysterical i'm not hysterical i'm not i'm not <laughs> <laughs> thanks johnny i knew you could calm him down <laughs> the panel by panel mode really benefits for both stories it really and we'll talk about that when we get to the second story too yeah because yeah, there's so much art in here and i don't know whether how much of it is randy elliott the inker on the first half and then bruce patterson inked all the flashback story for uh mr nebula's origin you know the the great mm-hmm. story there so uh what's your thoughts on the lords of order uh jack <laughs> and stan thoughts <laughs> Well, speaking of Kirby-esque art, they really go to town on that. And uh, when I was a kid, I, even though I did get the Galactus and Silver Surfer references, I did not realize that Stan and Jack were Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. He's got a magnificent head of blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, much like Jack Kirby. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> A lot of times it takes saying it out loud to yeah. be like, oh, I see where this is going. <laughs> and, and you know, Demetrius had a lot of fun throughout the whole issue. He does this in a lot of places. You Jack and Stan. You know, you've got Mr. Nebula's real name as being, you know, it looks Kratan Rod, <laughs> you know, which is supposed to be yes. like like Silver Surfer secret identity, <laughs> but really it's Curtain Rod. Earlier, he also uses uh, Kvetch, Kavels, Shikasas. I had to look oh, all those up there. Yeah. They're all either, you know, Jewish culture references or Yiddish things along those lines. Then there's uh, Russian names that come from the brothers Karamazov and Crime and Punishment. I mean, he is having a blast with just this. Mm -hmm. It took me a while when reading, when going back and reading this to reset to the idea that not every issue is a one liner a minute Mm -hmm. because there's a joke in almost every panel. Yeah. There, there really is. And and even the ones that don't land, it doesn't matter. Wait a couple of seconds. There's yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew enough that this was the origin of Galactus. I think it's funny now that they transport him into what looks like a Steve Ditko scape. Mm, it does. So it's like he gets transformed by Stan Lee to punish him by sending him to Steve Ditko's place. <laughs> <laughs> That totally tracks. I particularly like the bit where Kurtan Rod is going to call Raul (laughs) out of the temple. And he's like, no, you are not. You are going straight to hell. (laughs) And he just vaporizes him. I was like, oh my gosh, I thought that was so funny. (laughs) I'm going to get Raul. (laughs) Well, given that these people worked with Stan over at Marvel at different points, I mean, I got to assume they're working through some issues here as as a writing team, I would think. (laughs) A bit. Although it does seem out of love. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I don't think there's any malice there. That's true. Well, 
I mean, they're kind of gross when they're at the bar. I'll be honest, you know, older oh. horses that ain't the only thing I'd like to hold. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Okay. So that's not exactly putting them in a very nice light, I would say. And with the ha, ha, ha is definitely playing up how Stan and Jack are depicted when they're fictionalized, when they used to fictionalize themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's a direct thing. Well, maybe well, there was a little mockery going on. Well, it could be because, I mean, it, it's coming directly from Stan and Jack is calling him on it. Jack's saying, oh. don't behave that way. Maybe they had some issues with Stan's behavior. It could very well be. Hmm. Hmm. Or maybe we're reading too far into it. No. Well, again, for a podcast, you tear down the things yeah. you love. This is my favorite comic ever. You dig it as far as you want. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Nebula, when he finally, in, in the flashback, finally becomes Mr. Nebula on page, uh, what is that? I can't even read it. Uh, 22. What is up with that helmet? That, like, crazy straw-looking thing? I like... It maybe is that based on a Galactus look that I just don't remember? I mean, that's crazy looking. My interpretation of it is it's doing a tribute to Galactus's first appearance, but going to Mars with it. <laughs> he didn't get the memo. He's supposed to put the N on his chest and wear a skirt. Right. But other than that, it, yeah, that's some craziness. Wicker. That's what I'm trying to say. It looks like a wicker basket on his head. Like if Cyclops yeah. really needed to make a new visor and all he had was like wicker material. <laughs> and got bored no. and decided to make a bunch of loops and stuff on his belt is that it looks like it says elvez oh. and i wonder if that's supposed to be like an elvis reference thingy <laughs> well there is a picture of uh, what i thought was elvis on his belt where, where are you seeing the elvez help me out i'm not where am i looking right. it, it's it would be right underneath the picture of the guy on the belt buckle which is elvis so elvis. oh you're right it does it says yeah. elvis okay yeah you yeah. see that yeah yeah that's got to be him something else that says insert 20 five cents too i'm only just noticing these things now because i'm actually taking the time to look at it <laughs> but yeah insert 25 cents but i don't know what it is that's on his chest there yeah is it like part of a gumball machine i have never looked at this as close as i am now i'm zooming in yeah it could be got the fuzzy dice it looks like a gumball machine well i'm trying to think maybe it's maybe it's supposed to be slots i mean if everything's vegas themed with the oh, dice sure. and elvis true. I, I, don't, true, yeah. I don't know what the because it does look like bubblegums there, but maybe maybe it's supposed to be a slot type thing because there there's Could a be. lot of uh, Vegas imagery there, which also makes sense later <laughs> on in the story. <laughs> Yes. See, hmm. it's literary things like foreshadow. And... <laughs> this is highbrow literature, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> the y'all was the good button on that. That's perfect. Yeah. So we go to the next page, and then we get Maggie. Here's your Batman moment you were talking about. Yes, I love this whole bit with him talking. What is that little robot? That's oh, Elron, which is uh, another play on words for Elron Hubbard. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That is, I, I, I remember Elron. The whole bit of Batman overhearing this conversation about this interdimensional being one redecorating the planet and he's like you never saw me right. <laughs> he just pieces out immediately and he has not seen in the rest of this issue <laughs> nope <laughs> which is kind of great because like batman being batman like your most one of your most bankable dc characters he's in this for a single page and then he's just gone i was mad as a kid you were yeah i could understand well i thought the joke was great i thought it was hilarious but i was like oh i only get one page of batman <laughs> 
yeah. hadn't quite moved on to my Superman phase <laughs> yet. So, well, he had a history of doing this in the JLI, where he would show up, see the right. nonsense, and be like, "I'm Audi five thousand and just out the door. Do you have any idea what I'm doing in my own title? Doesn't he do that during a barbecue? Yes, good man. That's, That's exactly what I was thinking where he of. Just gears through. That's great. Yeah, with Big Barda and Scott. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. He's driving the Batmobile. He sees the insanity. He's like, "Never mind," and he just keeps driving past the house. Keep <laughs> <laughs> going. <laughs> All right, so I'm I'm going to be the irredeemable, you know, guy for a moment. And on page 24, uh, it's a it's a close up of Ice's face, uh, and she is just stinking adorable. She's Tom cute. Artis has drawn her so cute. Uh, it just it jumps off the page, and you can't I can't take my eyes off her. Oh, she's got a cute little nose. Mm-hmm. I do like her her little ice goddess nose. Yeah, you know, who also looks cute is right below her Martian Manhunter in that expression he's having. Oh, that frown. He has had enough yeah. of their crap. Yeah. <laughs> he's always just on the verge of, I think, losing it <laughs> in JLI working with these people. Perfect straight man. Perfect straight man. Very much so. I love, love, love the splash page on page twenty six. Well, the build up is on twenty five. It's where the submarine, the Russian submarine, is underneath the water and just pinging and there's lots of jokes about mother-in-laws and everything mm-hmm. but they come around and they're coming up against the two giant legs of Mr. Nebula that was a great <laughs> sort of page turn moment where you're like whoa okay that's <laughs> yeah. pretty great I did not expect a splash page of someone's you know inner thigh but alright I'll take it that's fine <laughs> I'll take it <laughs> the Russians are just like us folks they have mothers in law exactly hey you said it correctly well done John I practiced <laughs> <laughs> And then on the next page, that that like half panel that we or the half page panel with him with his hands on his hips, yeah. looking around, you know, kind of surveying everything the light touches will be his kind of a moment. Yes, here. yes. So here's where the uber nerd me is. I keep flipping back and forth, going, okay, wait. The picture underwater, it's just his legs. The next picture, like his skirt things underwater. Why am I not seeing a skirt thing underwater? Continuity, no. I, ah. Um, oh, meanwhile, oh, all I was no. doing was going. That must be an extremely shallow part of the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Or, the, or and that submarine must be in extremely shallow water for uh, Mr. Nebula's feet to be at the bottom of the ocean and be yep. standing up that high. But now I can't unsee the skirt thing. Yeah, no, I'm never going to unsee that. Maybe it's just a very small submarine. The Russians aren't like us in all ways. They are very small. They're very <laughs> small people. It's actually the Lilliputians. It's a uh, Lilliputian. You may not <laughs> know it's a country go. in Russia. There so. you go. Oh, yes. there you go. So uh, then we get to what is probably my favorite line in the whole book. I'm page. Page 28, mm-hmm. when Mr. Nebula has built his little headquarters of all the colors and everything, and he says, to me, my cosmic <laughs> swatches. I, every time, I can, I'm, la- I'm laughing right now as I'm trying to say it, like every time. To me, my cosmic swatch. That is just freaking hysterical to me. Oh, man. Oh, I never noticed in that top panel there, there you can see the submarine being launched out of the water. Oh my gosh, you can, yeah. Look at oh, that. Geez. <laughs> when he's bringing the, the land up, like, aww. Those poor you little people. Russians? Oh, I got to tell you, the background jokes in these two stories are on point. <laughs> yes. If you can catch oh, the little yes. background jokes going on, they're very funny. And that's got to be down to the artist. I mean, I would assume, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I never know. Again, I've read this twice and I read this yesterday to prepare for this. And I didn't notice the submarine until just now. I never saw it. I didn't notice the Elvis thing, all this stuff. I mean, you're catching a ton of stuff I never saw. I've, I've read this comic probably right. more times than any any comic outside of Marvel Transformers number one. And I never <laughs> knew that until just now. 
And I kind of love the Dr. Susie colors that mm-hmm. he's using in this with the mountains that he's pulling up out of the ocean and the swirls in the sky. Okay. It, it's so cool. Yeah. Hideous, but cool. It's really brilliantly done. So, like, the concept of Mr. Nebula, like, talking big picture, again, it's, it's a very divisive character. People think it's a joke too far or think it's really good. And, again, I wasn't sure going in where I'd land. But reading this, it is genuinely funny. Like, I genuinely laughed at almost everything he did. And it cracked me up. And it's... It's a fun, fun homage to Galactus in a silly way. I wouldn't want to read it every month, but as a a (laughs) one-off, you know, maybe once a year kind of thing, it's really hilarious. I loved it. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Skier and Nort even, you know, I mean, I think I grew up, especially at the time when I was jaded, I was like, well, this Nort guy, he's, you know, dumb. Who likes it? He says some genuinely funny things in this, and Skier is just hysterical. Even though he's just He's very funny. I will kill you, Nort. Kill, 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 kill. kill. <laughs> See, I gotta say though, the, the only thing about Mr. Nebula that I, I do have some pause for is okay. he does kind of read like a gay stereotype. Really? Sort of. I sort of thought so. Well, I guess I, I was worried that that was sort of the point of him. I wondered that too. I don't really think so, but I, I, think I don't it's know. Just a fashion, you know, like just a particular fashion designer stereotype kind of yeah. person. That's, yeah, I like to think of it that way better. There is the bit where Nort does his I didn't think he was a man to begin with yeah that's the and thing I was that got wondering me. if that was a subtle you know it, w- it was, would be very common to make a well he's kind of a girl or mm. right you know yeah and, at the time and it was a throwaway line and it was meant to be just a chuckler but I I don't th- they didn't lean into it too hard his 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 bigger biggest shtick is that he's he's as tacky as my grandma was right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the one Nort line certainly gives you pause but the re- I didn't I didn't read any sort of uh you know cues that to, to read that sort of impression I just got again like you said the the mad fashion designer gone crazy you know the egocentric you know fashion designer so I I didn't see any of the the coding there I, I hope that's not what's going on here and I'm you know I'd love to hear people's feedback and the, what their thoughts are hmm Gives me food for thought. Yeah, I might just not be giving enough credit to the 80s, but I, <laughs> I don't know. I, and maybe I'm being overly cautious, but he is so funny, though. Mr. Nebula really is. Like, when he's trying to name the planet after himself, and he's <laughs> nebulacious, nebulosity. Nebulous like, nook. <laughs> yeah, nebulous nook. He's really a very funny character, and I kind of like practiced, or not practiced, but I kind of like read his lines in different voices, and the one I found the most funny in my head was to read him like Galactus, okay, uh, but saying like all of these funny things. So I kind of bounced around with different voices for him in my head, but he's just, I find him to be kind of charming. I think he's got like a Martin Short kind of voice, was kind of probably where I would go. That's where it is now. Now I'm I'm going to argue with you, John, on something. Um, okay. So in my rereads, that I you know, I began rereading JLI back in 2016 with the, with the beginning of the show, and I've been going through the whole thing. And knowing that I was going to have to take a close look at Nort, because Nort's one of those things, kind of like Mr. Nebula, that people point at and say it's a joke too far in JLI sometimes. Well, up to this point, everything I've read with Nort, I was pleasantly surprised. I'm like, okay, this has been great. Every Nort story was on point. It was funny. It was sharp. Nort added a lot. This is the first time in my reread where, and I'm not being too critical, folks. I still Mm -hmm. like Nort. He's very funny. His jokes are hilarious. But this is the first time that it gave me pause where I thought, you know what? 
I think I'm actually invested in the other characters in this issue more than I am Nort. Like, Nort adds a lot of one-liners, but he doesn't really add any point to the story. Like, it's it's really Skier and Nebula's story, and maybe Martian Manhunter's story. Like, that's really what it feels like. And Nort's just there to make us laugh, but, like, mm-hmm. it's the first time that it gave me pause. So, I don't know. I, where, where, where are you guys landing on Nort? Is he too much? Is it funny? Is it just right? What do you think? He approaches too much in this one. I mean, some of the jokes are just are eye rolling. Some are chuckling. Some just are move on to next joke. But he's kind of just he serves the same narrative purpose. Besides, you know, he saves skier and then kind of has to hang out with Blue Jay and be what when he has stuff to do. Mm-hmm. You know, later um, have to hang out with the army, which has decided quizzically to take tanks out on the bridge and face them the wrong way. <laughs> I don't know. Nord annoys me. And that's fair. He's, yeah. Yeah, he's probably my least favorite character in the books. Okay. I, I, don't, I just don't find him funny. I find him more obnoxious than anything. In this one, though, I, I did have some giggle moments with him, but he's he's definitely low on my list. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I don't think... We're, uh, at least from my perspective, I'm not at the point where I know a lot of people really despise Nort, but it is one. This is the first time, though, that where I'm just like, hmm, we probably get it done without him this time, you know, other, <laughs> other than the one liners. But they could have just given the one liners to, I don't know, Blue Jay or they could have given to Crimson Fox or whatever, too. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, my, the, my favorite bit probably is the big reveal. And it's, it's so brilliantly done. And now, Maggie, you pointed out more of it when we saw his uh, Mr. Nebula's first costume, the reveal mm-hmm. of Las Vegas at the end is so perfect it's it's builds up it's it's one of those moments where you gotta flip the page to get it get to it just right and that is a hoot that's an absolute hoot agreed it's even better if you're um panel by panel uh-huh. because the one right before the reveal you slide from one side to the next and his eyes are just <laughs> the way that it, he doesn't have eyes you haven't seen them before but now he's got two bugged out eyes mm-hmm. and what is he bugged out at <laughs> las vegas heavens to betsy <laughs> I love that. All the things he says, heavens to Betsy. <laughs> That's what my grandma says. Right. Funny. Recognition oh at last. <laughs> Playing on the ego bit is so funny and so clever. It was a great twist. Like, it was, I we should have saw it being telegraphed earlier in the issue, but I didn't see it coming and uh, just made me laugh all the more. And I thought like, okay, they, they paid off. This is a, a 56 page joke <laughs> that <laughs> to pay off like it felt like yeah. the whole thing was just designed to pay off on the las vegas joke and that's fine with me yeah agreed <laughs> it is a long way to go for a las vegas joke though <laughs> it's kind of like a shaggy dog story i guess yeah hey there's nort shaggy dog story. <laughs> <laughs> so overall is the story a success or it could have been better what do y'all think it's a oh, success yes it's a delightful story it really is there's even, I would like to point out, too, on the last page, which they wonderfully end with Das Ende, uh, Skier is in his new costume, and he says, I'm so embarrassed, which is a callback to Moving Day. with uh, Oh, it? my gosh, yeah. it is. I didn't Swiss notice Scott, what you said yeah, there. It's my absolute favorite. the beetle into the, into the embassy. I am so embarrassed. <laughs> my favorite moment in Justice League history, and I didn't even realize this is a callback to it. Probably because I read it first. That is brilliant. That is so good. I did not even put that together. Oh, wow. 
Well, I, I I do love all the dad. I mean, what I, what we would define now as dad jokes. I mean, a lot of these one liners are because we said like you read them and you groan and you move on. There's a lot of dad jokes in here. Uh, it is also worth pointing out we didn't even mention it, but uh, Ice and Crimson Fox are the only two of the plan really in the whole thing. Well, I guess Marsha Manhunter had one at the very end, but they're the only two that tactically looked at this situation and said, "How can we make this better?" And they pulled mm-hmm. it off. So kudos to them. Uh, they they actually did something useful, whereas everyone else just stood around and made jokes. <laughs> <laughs> See? Women doing all the hard work. I tell <laughs> Well, that makes a perfect segue to the next story. Yeah. So, uh, Running Hot and Cold. So this is the one with Fire and Ice up against Captain Cold and Heat Wave. What a brilliant pairing to do the hot and brilliant. cold up against each other. I adore that. I do. Yes, I agree. And at this point, you know, the Flash series, if, I, if, if, I'm, if I'm off a bit here, folks, forgive me for my memory, but if I remember right, the original, the, the Wally West Flash series was told they couldn't use the classic rogues very much. So they didn't get to use people like this very often so you know they're just laying around for the JLI to pick up and run with and I feel like this was a great usage of them and I, I, I just I don't know it, I, maybe it, maybe they took the characters and warped them to fit the JLI sensibilities and be funnier between um, Captain Cold and Heatwave but it perfectly worked for me I could read a whole continuous backup series of Heatwave and Captain Cold running through and, and causing <laughs> shenanigans I thought just this was a riot getting thwarted <laughs> by random pairings of heroes I would buy that every month <laughs> You know, I remember, of course, more the Mr. Nebulous story in terms of this as, and I've had members of this reading this again. I know I prefer this story almost in terms of this is a solid, very short story with a beginning, middle, and an end that is hilarious. It, it really is. I agree. I, I'm just on the borderline of liking the story a little bit more than the Mr. Nebulous story. I, the running gags throughout with them saying, I bet Barry wouldn't have done something like this. <laughs> or that would be something Barry would have done. It was so funny. <laughs> They're just pining after Barry Allen. You know what's funny about that, that is it's because of this story and this being one of the you know early DC ones and my definitely my first exposure to either of these characters, it made this bit in the DC crossover Forever Evil mm-hmm. like land a lot better for me when Captain Cold in there was being praiseworthy of Barry to the like whatever the speed demon or whatever the evil flash was okay brought me right back to this and i was like oh jeff johns must have read this and then nothing else of the this era of the <laughs> well he read enough about maxwell lord that's for sure <laughs> um, <laughs> I I was scared to say it myself, but you guys have already pulled the trigger on it, so I'll say it. Yeah, I think I like the second story better. It's not that I dislike the first one. Mm -hmm. It's just the second story, it's a nice, tight story. It's 17 pages, which is almost like the full-page comic, but it is a really nice, tight, funny story, and it feels like a more Mm -hmm. traditional JLI wacky hijinks. You know, there's a caper, it goes awry, our heroes screw up, but in the end, end, they, they sort of come out on top, maybe, except they're in jail, so it, it fits perfectly with the jail I'm old, and I I feel like it was a hoot. I absolutely love that. Um, the first thing Fire says is says on the phone to John. You hear is that they didn't get to keep the diamonds. Right, right. <laughs> you know? That's all she cares about, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, fire really is kind of awful. She is. The, she's pretty bad in this, but in a funny way. Like, uh, so all right, I want to. All right, again, I'm going to play the irredeemable card for a minute. Please forgive me. I also read this in panel by panel mode, and in panel by panel mode, the striking contrast for me for the, with this artist. Um, the name again is Aldrin Awe, and he goes by Buzz now. Mm-hmm. You know, fire is always dressed very provocatively, right? And and they really play it up here. But for me, ice is like infinitely more sexy in this issue. She's wearing this red dress that just looks great and. Panel by panel mode. Woo! So um wow, she is stunning in both halves of this comic. I'm I'm all on about the ice right now. I have, yeah. I have a big crush on ice, and I don't I'm not afraid to admit it. She's she's done very, very well in this one. Sleeping on the couch tonight, sir. <laughs> well, you know, what if I agree? <laughs> I didn't even have to say anything. I think they drew her very yeah, it, it that dress really complements her white hair. She's quite pretty in this, and she really stands out because she's the only one wearing that red color. Mm. Um, which is funny because she's ice and she's wearing red. Yeah. Well, it's running hot and cold. You mm-hmm. know, fire is in her traditional green. Green flame. There's a niche mm-hmm. joke. Uh, <laughs> her with the the red, you know, the hot, and she's ice. And I don't know. I think it's cool. It, you know, it, it, it's like how blue and red are opposite colors, so they make each other pop when they're next to each other. Right. Kind right. Of that thing going on. And we also get another background joke where the cop is going through all of the things that they've done wrong and all the things that they're going to get ticketed for. And in the background, you see Captain Cold and Heatwave running with these little question marks. And then in the next panel, there's fire coming right on after. That is an example of a joke that only really works in the medium. Yeah. Because you could adapt that. You could adapt this whole story. You could include that same joke. You could have them running by in the background, but it wouldn't land as well. It's like for the man who has everything by Alan, Alan, the Alan Moore story, the Superman story. They adapted that in the Justice League cartoon and it's great. But the moment in the comic book where you look up and Superman saying burn and probably the first angry red eyes of anger moment we've ever seen and they never did it again <laughs> but doing that cutting to the next uh, the panel going from that to the next bit of the rays cutting searing across mongols uh chest the version that exists in your brain will always be better than the than it actually would look and in this case too they're running by completely in comical poses you know, <laughs> and so you fill this version of whatever Scooby-Doo music in the back, and it just yes. couldn't act. It wouldn't be as funny to actually see this happen because it probably would yank you right out of the moment. But in here, it is hysterical. Well, it's the frozen moment in time right. that sequential storytelling gives you. Yeah, because seeing them move across the screen would be one thing, but the frozen panel is what makes it work so well. So yeah, it's <laughs> it's definitely something that works just in comics, and it's hilarious. I mean, it is. And this guy again, it goes by Buzz or all Aldrin Awe. He, I think he's great. I'm so shocked he didn't do more for DC and Marvel. I looked him up because I was wondering, okay, who is this guy? He's too good. And he started very young at age 15 drawing comics. Ended uh-huh. up working with Neil Adams over at Continuity Studios by age 17. Did wow. just a few things for DC and Marvel, uh, including this. Um, and then ends up doing a whole bunch of other stuff. Well, I, I'm sorry. In the 2000s, he also did a little uh, JSA and things like that. But he ends up doing like Vampirella, Forgotten Realms. He's still drawing today. <laughs> and uh, he did he's do a- the Forgotten Realms. Yep. Forgotten oh, Realms. Okay. I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I knew there was a Neil Adams. That rings a bell. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. In, in the coming months over uh, on this podcast, we're going to be talking about various art, and sometimes we're going to be a little complimentary, sometimes we're not. And I feel like, you know what, if they'd gotten someone like this, it might have been a little smoother sailing. So I, I think his art looks great. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's wonderful. It really is. And I would also like to point out, just, you know, if there's the male gaze, we got to, like, look for the lady gaze. And as, as Ice is heading down to the subway, do you, do you all see, like, that, I don't know, Kelvin Klein ad over the stairs? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Hunky, hunky. Yeah, right? Oh, there we go. You gotta have a little something in there. You get the male gaze and the female gaze in the same panel. Look at that. There you go. Equal <laughs> opportunity smut. <laughs> Best kind of smut. Both kinds of fan service, country and Western. <laughs> <laughs> so it, the, towards the resolution, when they're blasting back and forth with the cold and the heat, I mean, it just cracks me. It was so, mm. like, how at this point, no one had thought to put, uh, you know, a hot and a cold against a hot and a cold in this such a way. Uh, it just it plays out perfectly. The fact that uh, I didn't even think about either when when heat waves in the ice block and he almost suffocates. That's a funny gag when they're like, oh, is he going to die in there? And you're like, oh, yeah. I guess that would kind of happen when somebody's trapped yeah. in a block of ice. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> or when they come, like, they've just sealed themselves in that tunnel thinking that they've gotten away scot-free, and then they both come running back, and Fire's like, no, why would they come back? And they're, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> funny story it yeah. really is and i feel like uh given a demetrius we're having fun with the nature of the powers too by bringing up all the things that could go wrong like in that scene you just described one of them actually says something like did you think about all the water damage would do to the rails and you know what's the water do to the third rail and then get again the bit about not breathing it's like they sat down and actually thought about the powers and said you know sometimes comics don't make sense and uh yeah. decided to play it up here in the issue who'd have thunk <laughs> So, all right, if you got to put the stories against each other, I think we already have our answer. But, like, do you love the Nebula story more still? Or, or, or are you swaying one way or another? Who, where do you, I think you already said you land on the second story. Is that right, Jonathan? Yeah, second story. Okay. Have you, uh, you were wavering. What do you think, Maggie? Yeah, I think, you know, having kind of talked through both of them, I am just on the side of liking the second story a little bit better. But they are both very good. They really are. They really are. All right. Well, that leads us to the next most difficult task. This is where we are going to nominate the... Plahaha Award. This is where we are going to nominate the funniest moment in the issue. Uh, myself, Maggie, and Jonathan will pick one moment, and only one will be awarded the Bwahaha moment. So, uh, you know, I don't know if you two coordinated to pick a singular moment or you've got your individual, but let's just go around the horn. Maggie, what is your nomination for the Bwahaha moment? All right. My nomination for the Bwahaha Award is the scene where, actually, you just brought it up, uh, where Ice has encased his head in ice. And at the end of the fight, there's just like that bystander (laughs) in the subway who's like, I'm sure you know your job, but can that man breathe? (laughs) And then Ice's response, oh my gosh. (laughs) She starts apologizing immediately. I I literally laughed out loud. Like John was cleaning or doing something and he's like, well, that might be your Bwahaha because I'm pretty sure you just went Bwahaha. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it was the closest to that sound she's ever made. It yeah, it really did. And is it just me, or, or does that guy look like Clark Kent? He did. I almost thought I'm like, is that supposed to be Superman? Like hanging out down here? That sure would be like not it. Be surprised. That'd be even funnier if in in the same issue, both Batman and Superman go. You know what? I'm taking the day off. <laughs> <laughs> Too silly. He's got the glasses. He's got like a little bit of like a curl coming out of that dark hair over his forehead, like Superman has. So right. I'm gonna go with at least my head cannon. My head cannon. Yep, absolutely. That is Clark Kent. And he's trying to help <laughs> Ice be a better hero by saying. 
saying, don't let that guy die. <laughs> I, mean, die. I don't want to be cleaning up after you. You have any idea what I had to do earlier? Oh, and, and what this would have done to the Legends of Tomorrow TV show if that guy died? Right. All right. So, Jonathan, oh. what is your nomination for the Blahaha Award? Uh, my nomination for the Blahaha Award, this was a toughie. I had, it was down to two. There was both, we've talked about both of them. One is both Batman just wandering in and saying, nah. <laughs> and, and my, but my other one is going to be just the cop going on the litany and the sight gag in the back of yes. Captain oh, okay. Wave running. That is a good one. And then running, fire chasing them and then running back. It's, I, I, I did laugh out loud. I've read the thing you know twice preparing for this and i laughed out loud both times so i'm gonna pick that one okay now it comes down to me and i pick something different from both of those so we're gonna have to duke this out i think although i am ready to completely surrender honestly because both of your moments are so much funnier i think my i picked the the sort of obvious big reveal of las vegas like yeah. uh where <laughs> nebula's there and he turns around and it's this giant you know full page splash of las vegas it was it was a part of it it's just it was a left left turn or curveball i didn't see coming so that's part of the reason that it's like oh wow that's brilliant i think but when i sit here and say it you know, both your bits, I think, are funnier. You know, they're more—they're a little more subtle, not quite as in your face, but they're both really, really funny. So <laughs> what are we going to do here? We got to make it. A, I, I don't know that I've ever come down to a battle of three different choices. So what are we going to do here, y'all? You're the, ones, you're the ones who got to go home with each other. So maybe you should decide this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll vote for Maggie's. Smart. Yay! Yes, very I'll vote smart. for mine, too. <laughs> there we go. We have a clear winner. Congratulations to Ice, Heatwave, and Incognito Clark Kent. You have won <laughs> the Boahaha Award. Please uh, wear it with pride. It is as tangible as the laughter we give you. All right. Now, Jonathan and Maggie, I need to ask a favor. Um, would you all mind hanging around here at the New York Embassy for just a little while and keep an eye on things? I, uh, I'm worried that Mr. Nebula is going to come back and begin redecorating the embassy into something that looks kind of like a circus clown vomited all over everything. Uh, would you mind keeping an eye on the place? Oh, yeah. No. No problem at all. We would not want that to happen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a unilateral decision. Okay, perfect. All right, now don't worry, Maggie and Jonathan. We will bring you back at the end of the show. And while they're taking care of that for us, I'm going to read your listener feedback in a segment called... Justice Log. All right, we're going to start off with just a little bit of a callback to a few minutes ago when we were talking about the cover of Justice League Quarterly Number 2. We all kind of felt like it looked reminiscent of some other cover. Well, I reached out to Bart Sears on Twitter, and he himself let us know that it was just what was asked for and it was approved as a layout. It was not an homage on his part. So I guess that's just it, that the cover is so iconic that it just resonates with us all. All right, now remember, folks, get out on the social media. Use our hashtag FWPodcast. Tag us at JLI Podcast. As I always say, this is about building a community of online JLI fans around the show. And remember, when you're posting your comments, if you're outside of the United States, let me know, and we will assign you the appropriate embassy. Now, this is also good to know if you're an international listener, because we have to filter iTunes properly to see your reviews. Speaking of which, uh, we've got a new iTunes review from Bucky749, a.k.a. The American Samurai. The subject line is, learn something new. Bucky wrote, I never heard of this series before the podcast, and I find this era very interesting. This show is great fun. Keep up the good work. By the way, I'm from New Mexico. Which embassy would I be? 
All right, well, let's see, Bucky. Let me think about it. Mexico, New Mexico, hmm. Tell you what, let's just call it the I should have turned left at Albuquerque Embassy. Does that work? <laughs> now, folks, if you haven't left a review yet on iTunes, please consider it. It really does help raise the profile of the show and attract new listeners. And if you're listening to the show after six years and still haven't left an iTunes review, well, I might just have to send Mr. Nebula over to your house to redecorate. All right, let's get into this, folks. We've got your comments from our website, email, social media. And remember, as always, I'm just going to be pulling bits and pieces. There's so much feedback, I couldn't possibly get through it all. So uh, we are going to be covering the most recent episode featuring Justice League America number 47 with my guest Patrick Pence and Justice League Europe number 23 with my guest Nathan Archer. First up is Herbert Fung. He writes, I was just listening to this episode and in your review of Justice League Europe number 23, you were talking a bit about the corporate shenanigans and also how Revlon is referenced. Now, when I originally read this book, I was ignorant to the real life Revlon owner had acquired Marvel Comics at the end of 1988. Could this Mr. Stank be a loose reference to him? He was under his leadership that eventually led to Marvel's bankruptcy protection filing in the 1990s. Hmm. You didn't make an interesting point, Herbert. I wonder if the whole Revson Cosmetics, which is obviously a play on Revlon, was some sort of dig at Marvel. Very interesting. Hmm. And uh, by the way, Herbert shared more information on that, and it's totally a fascinating story if you haven't researched it. So it's worth your time, folks. We also heard from Gus Casals from our Argentina embassy. He does shows such as Alfred Pennyworth Presents Podcast and his Legion 60 Years Later podcast. Gus writes, another great episode and another instance of my selective amnesia at work. I had completely forgotten about the Shiloh interlude in this issue. Also, at the time, I was not really a fan and not really into Captain America lore. So now all the man-out-of-time bits work so much better for me. Regarding facial expressions, I do believe this is actually editorial direction. Once the acting became such a central point of the title, it makes sense that they would be asked for from all of McGuire's followers. Gus goes on to say, regarding Justice League number 23, is a favorite for me. I cannot more than side with Nathan on everything, including Bart Sears' ability to highlight beefcake as much as cheesecake. It's not usual I nod along to a podcast such as this, just agreeing with everything and going yes, yes, and yes to that too. Now that you mentioned Sonar, it would have made perfect sense as he was already an established European baddie. And actually, he was used in the Elongated Man miniseries, which I wonder if it'll be a subject of a Meanwhile episode. Uh, you know, Gus, I have been struggling about the Elongated Man miniseries for a very long time. I would love to cover it on a Meanwhile episode. I mean, come on, it's Ty Templeton and Mike Parabek artwork. Oh my gosh, it's gorgeous. The trouble is, uh, Giffen and Dimatteis are not involved with that miniseries, and obviously with them not in the picture, the sole writer on that miniseries is a bit problematic, so I'm not sure if I'm going to cover the Elongated Man miniseries or not, simply because of the writer. Um, I don't know. It's been kicking around my head since probably the first episode. All right, then we're from Josh Romano. This is great episode, Shag. I actually liked General Clory back in the day because he wasn't like all the other extreme heroes of the time. Then regarding Just Like Europe, he says, I never understood Crimson Fox. She was neither Crimson, nor did she look like a fox. <laughs> Thank you so much, Josh. Then David Ace Gutierrez chimes in and says, Twins that shared an identity? Spoiler alert, The Prestige. Thank you, David. They heard from Jason Lady, author of the young adult humorous fantasy novels Monster Problems, Super Problems, and now Time Problems. Jason says, when discussing Crimson Fox, you guys noted that she was Crimson in her name, but not anywhere in her costume. This got me thinking, are there other superheroes who have a particular color in their name, but not on their costume? 
There's Blue Raja from Mystery Men, and also another one who's a member of the JLE, Silver Sorceress. I never realized that the JLE had two characters with this rather unique characteristic on the team at the same time, and they both wear shades of brown too. JLE may be the only superhero team in comics history with two people like this. Weird. Then regarding the whole twins identity, Jason says, the only other superhero I can think of who is really two people sharing an identity is Turbo from the New Warriors. They wore the old torpedo suit, and it was shared by two young folks named Mickey and Mike, but they weren't twins, uh, they weren't even siblings, and no one was going to mistake them for each other. Yeah, I, as I recall, one was a girl, one was a boy. So uh, that's a good call. I had not thought of Turbo. Then we heard from Symbol Pending from our UK embassy in the Symbol Pending Power Girl blog. They say, you know, thinking about it, I get why if you were reading along with the JLA General Glory story, it might not resonate with old fans. He really takes all the air out of the room, and meaning with the other characters. The ones people turn to every month to follow. I mean, really, only Jean comes out of this. The others just seem to be there to drive the story along. You know, that's interesting. You're right. General Glory does become a pretty big focus of these, uh, at least this particular story. Then Simple Penning says, This is my first time reading this, so the reveal of Crimson Fox was somewhat of a surprise to me. Though I picked up a few clues from previous comments by Shag. And agree, it's a pretty solid comic because of this reveal. I'm kind of curious as to if anyone has gone back and worked out what issue which sister appeared. Though I agree, it's probably something they did to cover a scripting error. Uh, you know, I've heard a few people reference where they thought one was Constance and one was Vivian in earlier issues, so it's quite possible they always had that in mind, or yeah, it, it, I am leaning more towards it's a scripting error cover-up. All right, then we heard from Liz Ann Oswald, who says, uh, regarding the Justice League Europe Interpol Registration Act, Liz says, actually, the whole policing of secret identities thing in comic books has been done back as far as the early issues of the Huntress backups in Wonder Woman, as written by Paul Levitz. In those issues, it turned out that the thinker was controlling the district attorney, whom at the time was dating the Huntress. They ended up starting uh, the problems with the government trying to interfere with superheroes operating in Gotham. This is another earlier version of it, both of them predating Civil War by quite a few years. Hmm. All right, good man. Mention, I hadn't thought about that, uh, the, the Huntress backups. Regarding the Huntress backups, Symbol Penning chimes in and says, I'm legally obligated at this point to mention that Power Girl was in those issues, which almost explains her hesitancy about any kind of registration and seemed pretty miffed when the DA and Helena have feelings for each other. Then Tim Price chimed in. Tim is, of course, from the Outcasters, Batman and the Outsiders podcast, and the Batgirl Huntress podcast. Tim says that exact story was recently covered on the Right On Network's Huntress podcast by A.J. Wright, Diane, and recently JLI Bwahaha podcast guest Laurel. And, of course, I was reading along with them. Podcast plug achieved. <laughs> Thanks so much, Tim. They were from Chris Franklin from the Firewater Podcast Network. He does shows such as the JLU cast, and Chris is a professional general glory hater. You should check him out. Chris says, I think you and Patrick touched on something that made me move on from this version of the JLA. The scenes in this issue that seem very much like random sitcom moments, where characters are just kind of dropped into a situation for laughs. Like the whole Mr. Miracle thing. They have no bearing on the overall storyline. Combine that with a storyline that I personally felt was too broad, and I lose interest. Maybe I need to give these issues another try and see if I still feel that same way. Uh, you know, Chris, they might be worth it. Uh, you know, now you've got a few years on you since then, sir. So uh, you might feel differently. I don't know. Hindsight is a miraculous healer, my friend. Uh, then Chris goes on to say, I do like the cover of Just League Europe. As Nathan pointed out, it's very clever and well done, especially to another graphic designer like myself. Chris goes on to say, I don't care for Crimson Fox brown costume, though. When it was colored as more of a deep red, her name made sense. The costume itself, I never really cared for. Bart Sears handles it best for sure, but it definitely reads more snake than fox. They heard from Doug Van Diver. He says, That ineffable invocation of the loquitious yada 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 appears in both the cartoon episodes that the Franklin's covered and also in the JLA book. Man, this year's JL May theme is weirder than I was expecting. I like it. 
<laughs> and Doug, thanks to the magic of editing, you have no idea how many takes it took me to get that nearly right. Then we heard again from Tim Price, again from Outcasters, Batman and the Outsiders podcast, and the Batgirl Hunters podcast. Tim writes, I admit I'm a general glory apologist and always enjoyed his appearances, so it does my heart good to hear Shag coming around on this reading of the story. Sure, sensibilities may have changed, or the critiques back then may have been more of an influence, or maybe he wasn't extreme enough for the time. But there's nothing wrong with revisiting old stories and having a great take, good or bad. Welcome aboard the glory train. Oh, gosh, Tim. Anyway, Tim goes on about Crimson Fox. He goes, back in the day, I thought the twin angle was nicely unique. And I gotta say, I think Fox is even more fetching in the costume when she has her hood off. I actually like the design of her hood, but yeah, I like seeing her face and how she puts her hair up. Wowza, that Bart's ears. Uh, then Tim goes on to say about twins sharing an identity. He can say, I should know a few more. He references the Trigger Twins, Brother Voodoo, and the Triple Two were the Joker from DC's Tangent Line. Uh, and then Tim says, you know, someone has got to stop asking questions like, quote, I wonder if this character will return. Do they ever come back to this plot point? End quote. And then Tim says, because I know these stories far too well, and I have to put clothespins on my fingers when writing feedback so I don't give away these things. It works, but it's like trying to type with Crimson Fox's claws. Also, ow! <laughs> Thank you so much, Tim. Then we heard from Matthew Cody. It says, great episode. It's neat that you got to record with your real friends. I thought it was funny that they didn't seem to be up on certain things that were happening in the podcast, like Light Ray and Orion being on the team or Java having his arms melted. I know that they're fans that have read the issues and have nostalgia. I'm just pointing out that they might not be listening to your show like your virtual friends or might not be quite as caught up. Uh, yeah, you make a good point, Matthew. Maybe my real friends are you people on the podcast. Then Matthew ends by saying, uh, that ending bit at your house, calling it the embassy, that was a lot of fun. Wow, so thank you, Matthew. Uh, as far as I know, you may have been the only one who stayed all the way to the end of the episode and heard that, yes, I recorded the ending with Nathan and Patrick at my actual house all together. It's probably the only time I'll ever get a chance to do that for a JLI podcast. Then we heard from Martin Gray from our Scottish Embassy in the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog. Martin writes, I just don't get why Linda Medley's art is all that controversial on this podcast. I love it. You can see the Giffen breakdowns at the times, and they look good. But I like it even more when Medley's line is stronger. Her work is crisp, and the people are nicely animated. Yeah, no, I get it, Martin. I really enjoy some of Linda Medley's artwork, but there are some panels, and again, maybe it's the inker, but uh, there's just sometimes it just didn't grab me quite as well. Then Martin says, "Going moving on to Just League Europe number 23, I never found Crimson Fox interesting until this issue. The pheromone flinging sisters had a great chemistry, no gag intended. He says, I cheered at the reference to Copperhead, and that's what I always thought too. And that cowl headpiece thingy is so stupid. Clunky and peripheral vision killing. And then he says, funnily enough, two of the three founding members of Revlon were actually named Revson. Oh wow, Martin, that's interesting. I wonder if that was intentional. Then Martin ends by saying, how come there's no outrage on the show about the idea of Crimson Fox using her pheromone powers to nab Captain Adam's shiny butt? It's no better than Max getting Huntress on the team with a nosebleed. You know, Martin, you know, maybe there's a double standard here. Maybe you're right. We heard from Siskoid from the Canadian Embassy. He's part of the Firewater Podcast Network. He does shows such as FW Team Up, Who's Editing, and much more. Siskoid says, Crimson Fox doesn't make any sense as a name, but her name is actually French, right? Le Renard Russe. And I, I probably said that wrong, Siskoid. But he says, Le Renard Russe literally translates as red-headed vixen. Of course, vixen's already taken, so they use the male fox instead. And red-headed is clunky, and ginger sounds weird, and just red has the same problem in terms of costumes, so they'd probably be quicker if they made the connection with her hair color. 
You know, that would be interesting, yeah, if they made Crimson Fox, uh, the name Crimson being about her hair color. But yeah, it, as I understand it, it was going to be the Red Fox, and then they ran into a copyright issue. Then we heard from Mike Dinas from the Pacific Canadian Embassy. Mike says, it's your Pacific Canadian delegate here traipsing through the backwoods with Sasquatch, the Bigfoot creature, not the Alpha Flight member. So I'm a little late in commentating. This show just keeps getting better and better. What a treat to have actual friends on the podcast talking about these fun issues. Everyone had great insights and enjoyable stories to tell. I find listening to this show makes me feel like I'm part of a great circle of friends that bonds over some fun comics. Yeah, Mike, I, I can't tell you how happy that makes me to hear you say that, because I mean, that's really the point of the show, is to bring the community of JLI fans together as friends. So uh, that, that means the world to me. Thank you. Mike says, regarding JLA, uh, as a Pacific Canadian delegate, I'm not too huge on American rah-rah of Captain America, so I love General Glory in this goofy pastiche of patriotic heroes. The entire banter with Skippy and Little Buddy is fantastic. It finally made me not hate Guy Gardner so much and made me see him in a different light. And I'm enjoying seeing the progression of Linda Medley's art style. Like Shag mentioned, the sequence with Beetle, Ice, and Shiloh has some great facial acting in it. Then regarding Justice League Europe, he says it was fun to hear everyone's discussion on Crimson Fox's origin. I agree with everyone about the name, costume difference, but I'd go even further. Why does she have those ridiculous long claws? Do foxes have long claws like that? Hmm, that's another good point, Mike. They were from Jonathan Riddle. It says, I was recently reading the Justice League Quarterly number 10, which is far removed from these issues, but stay with me. It came across a moment that would tickle Patrick's fancy. In the Blue Beetle backup story, When Titans Date by Mark Wade and Ty Templeton, there's a moment where Wally West says, these pretzels are making me thirsty, which is a reference to Seinfeld's season three episode, The Alternate Side, where that same line was repeated multiple times on the show. Then Jonathan says, I don't expect the Bahaha podcast to venture so far from the Giffen Dimateus era, but you and especially Patrick might be amused at Mark Wade lifting a joke from Seinfeld so early in his comics writing career. Ah, that's awesome. Well spotted, Jonathan. Then we heard from Evertom Vieira do Carmo from our Brazil embassy. He, uh, <laughs> he writes a bit of dialogue here from Marsha Manhunter. He says, nice try, Max, but you can't sneak past a telepath. Besides, what's this about turning the League into an inefficient group that I'm reading in your mind? <laughs> Thank you, Evertom, for uh, a good reference to the Infinite Crisis era. They heard from Jimmy McGlinchey from the Irish Embassy. He says, Irish Embassy calling. Apologies for the late reply. However, the Irish Embassy has mysteriously disappeared, almost as if giant worms have come from the ground to destroy. Oh, wait. No, never mind. It's over there. Whew. <laughs> uh, then Jimmy goes on to say, I enjoyed both issues. Count me in the camp of really enjoying the introduction of General Glory and his first outing with the League was a resounding success. Then Jimmy says two points on Constance's assistant. One, he was called initially Robert by Constance and later Mr. LaRose, a nod to colorist Bob LaRose, maybe? And two, I vaguely recall reading in the first edition of the DC Comics Encyclopedia in 2004 that in the Crimson Fox entry, they say Bob LaRose took the mantle of Crimson Fox after the deaths of Constance and Vivian. Wow. Uh, then Jimmy says, and this is definitely non-canon as there's no reference to this when the new Crimson Fox emerges in Green Lantern. As I recall, there were a few errors in that encyclopedia anyway. Uh, yeah, Jimmy, I recall a few bits and bobs there in that uh, original encyclopedia, which I, I still have. I have that one in the later edition. But yeah, that could very well be a misprint, or maybe it's something they always intended to do. I don't really know. For example, I seem to recall uh, in the Marvel encyclopedia that they revealed Ronan's secret identity before it was ever revealed in the comics. Whoops. Uh, anyway, then we heard from Eddie Webb, who says, just wanted to drop a line to say I've discovered your podcast recently and I've been having a great time working my way through the backlog. 
The JLI podcast was something I discovered during the pandemic, and I'm glad to have an excuse to reread these great comics. Aw, well, thank you so much, Eddie, and welcome to the embassy. We heard from Denim Jedi, who's also working through our back catalog, writes, With each episode of the JLI podcast I listen to, what gets me the most are the promos for other podcasts. I look forward to getting caught up because there are at least six shows I want to get into. The entire family of podcasts here should be essential with the DC app. Aw, well, thank you so much, Denim Jedi. I'm glad you appreciate the promos. I really enjoy promoting other people's shows. I feel like, again, it helps round out that community and support each other, and I'm glad it's appreciated. They were from Doug Adamson from a Scottish embassy. He says, I'm a few years behind in this series of podcasts, but they're so good, and I'm on episode 17 right now, and I only started a few weeks ago. So JLI fans, add this podcast to your routine, and you won't regret it. Now, a little behind the scenes, Doug also messaged me on something, uh, and I can vouch that in just 12 days, he listened to 12 episodes of this show. Oh my gosh, Doug. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your support. I'm glad you're joining the show but clearly you need to find better things to do with your time. <laughs> uh, Doug also wrote me back in 2019 at the Edinburgh Comic Con in Scotland. He was wearing his handmade Blue Beetle hoodie, which was a present from his wife, and he got to be part of a photo shoot with some cosplayers recreating the infamous Guy Gardner One Punch. All right, folks, this is the part of the show where we thank everyone who shared this show on their social media timeline. We're talking Facebook and Twitter here. It's a long list of names. I get it. However, these people showed their support and promoted the show. I mean, it's very, very important to me that we recognize these individuals. So here's everyone who helped promote the last episode by sharing on Facebook or retweeting on Twitter. If you'd like to be on the list, all you got to do, again, share on Facebook, retweet on Twitter. It's really simple. So our thanks to Adamson's Attic, Between the Pages Blog, Billy Delicious, Captain Wings versus the Comic Crypt, Carlin from Nerd Lunch, Chris Franklin, Chris Lewis, Chris Lydon, Chuck Rodriguez, Clinton Robinson as accounts for Coffee and Comics, Days of High Adventure Podcast, and Fan Films Friday Podcast. Dave Steele, Dave's Comic Heroes Blog, David S. Gutierrez, Denim Jedi, Dr. Jennifer Schwartz-Levine, Ed Moore Jr., Eddie Webb, Frederico Hernandez, geek to me Radio, Glenn Tideman, Gus Casals, Homework the Podcast, Jason R. Lady, Jeff Poyer, Joe Tonello, John Wilson, Liz Ann Oswald, Long Box of Darkness, Mark Lax, Martin Gray, Martin Kogan, Matt Anderson, Matthew Cody, Max Travers, Michael Kramer, Michael Thomas, Mick Jameson, Mike Dinas, Nicholas Allheim, Outcasters, Batman and the Outsiders Podcast, Patrick Pence's Tactics and Tutorials, Paul Keehan, Pragmatic Gollum, Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Rob Kelly and his For All Mankind Super Friends podcast account, Mountain Comics and Treasury Comics, Roger Preeb, Sean Ross and the Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Siskoid, Superman Radio Revisited Podcast, Symbol Pending, The Bat Pod, The Telltale Mind, Tim Price the Podcrasher, Trek Talk, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Willie Yarbrough, and Zek Cap Boots. Oof. Thank you all so much for your support of the JLI Podcast. And everyone who left feedback, you are such a critical part of the show, and this community of JLI fans we're building together is absolutely awesome, and you are a fantastic part of it, so thank you. Now, if I've forgotten or missed anyone, I am terribly sorry. It is probably the fault of Nathan or Patrick, so just let me know, and I'll include you on the next episode. Please keep those cards and letters coming, folks. Uh, visit our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI. Leave your comments on the show post there. That is where most of the activity is going on. Then over on Facebook, you can find us as the Justice League International Blahaha Podcast and on Twitter at JLI Podcast. You can also email us at jlipodcast at gmail.com. My thanks again to Patrick Pence and Nathan Archer for appearing on the most recent episode of the show. And thanks to you listeners for such a fantastic collection of feedback. Now, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break. And when we come back, we'll wrap up with Maggie and Jonathan. Hi. 
Hi, John. Hi, Maggie. I'm still wrapping my brain around the fact that we're married. <laughs> Me too, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Aw. Oh, hey, I was looking at these old comics, and I noticed that there's Hold a Hold girl... that thought. Why don't we talk about it on our podcast? We have a podcast? It seems like the logical next step. We get married. We change our names. We combine our comic collections. We start a podcast about comic books. Well, I can't fault your logic, but there are plenty of podcasts out there already. Do you really think we'll have anything new and interesting to say? Oh, I think we'll manage. Welcome to the Married with Comics podcast, where we constantly f*** up. <laughs> she goes from Marvel Girl to Phoenix to Marvel Girl to Jean Grey to Phoenix to Dead. Um, <laughs> and then apparently he's so consumed with his own thoughts that he runs right past three monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> a brainwave camera took a picture of that guy's head. A brainwave camera. Uh, and Ben's just basically, whatever you gotta do to stop the commies, Nick. So join us at the Married with Comics podcast. We're two newlyweds with a love for comics intelligently, critically, and thoughtfully discuss comic books. Also listen as we goof around, make jokes, and make fun of John for mispronouncing names. I do that a lot. Sometimes we'll pick a topic and review and discuss comics that relate to the topic. And sometimes we'll pick up a comic and see what discussion topics come up. Sometimes we'll spend an entire episode talking about how much Maggie loves Batman. The only thing that's almost as strong as my love for you is my love for Batman. The Married with Comics podcast. Available directly on our site at marywcomics.libsyn.com, on iTunes, and wherever good podcasts are found. Also, check us out at Facebook at the Married with Comics podcast. We've got everything you need. Do you remember your first comic book? Do you remember the first time you held a cover in your hand and you flipped the pages? You read the adventures of these amazing heroes and you really fell in love with the medium? The first time you bonded a character to a team, to a company, and you knew, yep, I'm in this for life. Well, so do we. So join us on the never-ending reading pile from the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network, where we proudly don our nostalgia goggles. We dive into our favorite comics, our favorite eras, our favorite characters, our favorite creators, and we just bask in the glory that is being a comic book collector. Come join us and help us chip away at the never-ending reading pile. Okay, folks, we're back from break with Jonathan and Maggie. My thanks to both of you for appearing on this episode. It's been such a joy. Would you please tell the listeners where they can find you on the interwebs? Oh, thanks so much for having us on. This was a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, you can find us. Our podcast is under the banner of MWC Podcasts, uh, which we do a lot of shows under that. Married with comics, married watching cartoons, you know, married with college, all sorts of different things that, as Shag was saying, just give us joy or that we're into at any given points. But we try to make it fit into the MWC mold whenever we can, except for the Rod Pod, which we now realize we should have gone in a different direction, especially since if you Google Rod Pod, you will find a heck of a lot of really good shows about fishing. Ah, or something really <laughs> inappropriate, I was thinking, but okay. Yeah, well, this yeah. is the PG show again. So we may actually, <laughs> since he gave it to us for free, we might be changing that sometimes. <laughs> we also appear on the Longbox Crusade, both Maggie and I do. Transformers Chronicles, the Marvel Years. With Pat and Delvin. Hi, Delvin. 
<laughs> Otherwise, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at MWC underscore podcast. And I am at Maggie and the rain. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Maggie and Jonathan. This has been an absolute joy. I really mean it. I, I'm so thrilled. We, we waited a long time to get here, but I'm glad we finally <laughs> had a chance to do this. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Oh, thanks hey. for having us. Four years in the making. Where's the wait for? <laughs> I am glad we were able to come on and save your uh, what obviously dwindling ratings by this point. Yeah, you're ha- floundering. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, without a doubt. I mean, this is like uh, having Batman guest star on an issue to get a bump. That's absolutely why I had you guys here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, folks, that is going to do it. Now, come back next episode when we cover Justice League America, number 48, and Justice League Europe, number 24. And we'll have two more guest hosts to help me cover the issues. Who will they be? Come on, people. You know how this works. It's not new information. You're going to have to wait and find out next episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, I'm Shag. I'm John. And I'm Maggie. And you've been listening to the JLI Podcast. Want to make something out of it? it?